boys screws loose, they done stripped the bolts on them. Should've never sent them to pick up the work for me. Sprayed the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the chest, he was gonna show and John him. What's up, what's up? Hello, welcome to another episode of Chuddy's Corner. I am Ben Handler, joined as always by my good friend Nick Pereno. Nick, how's it going? It's going all right, Ben. Let's uh, let's hope we can uh, turn things around and maybe uh, you know, get this season back on track. You're not enjoying the roller coaster, the ups and downs? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we've obviously got plenty of Celtics basketball to talk about. First, remember. You can download Chuddy's Corner on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a subscribe. Give us a like. Write us a review. We really appreciate it. Of course, you can watch the stream on Vimeo or on nickperino.com, which is also your source for all your real estate needs. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at King Chuddy, and Nick is at underscore nick perino you can find us on twitter interact with us there any questions the mailbag has been popping lately so uh let us know what you think we're happy to hear from all of our fans always anyway moving on so like i said last week we're starting up the weekly segment now so we were with you last tuesday since our last podcast the celtics have played four games they've gone two and two in those games shocker uh, the first of those games was probably the worst loss of the season. Uh, we had talked about it a lot during last episode that it was kind of almost like a must win. Um, the guys did not show up on a, again, shocker. And we lost to the Oklahoma city thunder, which was a borderline G league team, terrible loss. Uh, so, you know, at that point, it's like, you're ready to write the Celtics off and call it a season. What do they do? They come back and have kind of a, statement win in what felt like almost a must-have game against Charlotte. Both of the Jays were huge. Then at home, we played the Spurs in a game that I'm sure we'll get into more, but um, one of the biggest comebacks in NBA history, which also had Jason Tatum scoring his career high and matching a Celtics high of 60 points in uh, maybe the best win of the season. And then you thought maybe that would lead to some momentum and that was the start of something good. But then uh, we followed that up with a home loss to the Portland Trailblazers, which uh, was kind of a shit show of a game. Had a lot, a lot to, a lot to talk about, I think, especially in those last two games we've seen. So like I said, the Celts went two and two in the last four. They're now 34 and 31 overall. We're currently sitting in the seventh seed. But we're uh, half game back on Miami. We're tied in the loss column, and we do currently own the tie break, although we have two more games with the Heat. So a lot to play for. Um, it, it's starting to feel like almost every game is like a pseudo playoff game at this point because the Knicks are creeping away. They are now uh, three games up on us for the fourth spot. The Hawks are a game and a half up on us for the five spot. We're two games up on Charlotte for the eight or four games up on the Wizards for the 10. So everything is really, really tight. We've got seven games left. Um, we don't have to win them all because, I mean, if we want to be in that playing game, which is looking more and more likely by the day, maybe that'll be the case. But at this point, it's, it's kind of put up or shut up time. Uh, you know, we've been talking about all year how it's like we just want to get to the end of the year, get in a rhythm down the stretch. Well, the, this is the stretch. 
it's time. Um, and that time is running out. So I don't know if we're ever going to get into a rhythm, but if there ever were a time to do it, it's now. And it helps that our next few games are, we had two, two days off now between Monday and Tuesday. And it's Wednesday as we're recording here before the Celts are slated to take on the Orlando magic tonight, a day off. And then the bulls on Friday, two huge games against teams that we should, should beat. Nothing is uh, for granted at this point though. And then of course the two huge home games against the heat. And then we finish out the year at the Timberwolves at the Cavs, And then the last game of the year at the Knicks. So only a few games left, but still a lot to play for. Certainly. Let's start, as we always do, with our biggest takeaways from our latest game. So, again, it was those four games since the last time we podcasted. A lot happened. (laughs) Nick, what was your biggest takeaway or what were your biggest takeaways from the past week of Celtics basketball? Uh, I don't think there could be – there's any other answer other than Aaron Neesmith. So, it's it's funny that I had that, too despite the fact that Tatum scored 60 points in a game and we made right. one of the best comebacks in NBA history. I still agree that Neesmith had to be the number one. Right. I mean, that game was like unbelievable. And Tatum was yeah. unbelievable, but you know, Tatum's going to score 60, 50 points. Right. You know, that's just who he's going to be. Hopefully his career. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So Neesmith, I mean, it's more than just the fact that he's hitting threes, um, obviously. And I mean, I don't know if it's too strong to say, but like, even if he wasn't hitting threes, he would be unbelievably valuable still to this team. Um, you know, his energy and just, um, sorry about that. Um, the confidence is just through the roof. And I think that's pretty much been his turning point. Cause I mean, he's always had this skill set. Um, but you know, it's kind of just been, you know, he's had trouble sort of putting it all together, but I mean, I'm almost willing to say that without the emergence, his emergence last three games, we may not have won any of those. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. We may not, may not have been in contention in, with the Portland game even, but his defense has been, you know, superb. He's blocking shots, steal, driving on loose balls. Um, he's, his positional rebounding is like <laughs> incredible. I mean, it kind of yeah. reminds me of Terry a bit as far mm-hmm. as, you know, rebounding in the, you know, guard wing position, whatever you want to call him. Um, but I mean, the last three games, you no, know, he's, he's getting almost 16 points a game, which is huge for, well, I don't know if we're calling him a bench player. He's kind of been starting here and there, but in mm-hmm. theory, a bench player playing bench minutes, uh, two offensive rebounds a game, which <laughs> in the, that's in not the moment, no, in the moment, there it's not just like you know empty offensive rebounds. These are like meaningful right. offensive rebounds, extending a possession. Him and it seems like grinding. even if he's not coming down with the board, he's in there tipping yeah. the ball away. You know, just getting an extra hand on it, making the other team work harder. Like it's right. more than just the stats. Mm-hmm. And you know, along with the confidence, he's being he's super efficient. Um, yeah, he's shooting. Let me see. 68% overall last three games, 67% from three. He only has two turnovers in all of those games, all th- the last three games combined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game against the Hornets, he had three blocks and three steals. Um, I mean, I don't know. The only, the only thing he's not 
The only thing he's doing that isn't great is he's fouling a lot, but whatever. That's, you know, he's young and he's playing hard, so you're going to get fouls. But, um, I mean, other than that, he's, like, basically been the perfect, you know, perfect piece for what we've needed, you know, since we've been having all these injuries. Um, I mean, he would have. this would have been perfect if we had this all year, but especially the last, you know, few games where, um, you know, our stars are coming in and out. Um, you know, we've really needed him. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's all true. And yeah, I think now we're kind of seeing what we had hoped for when we drafted him. So, I mean, <laughs> it's probably crazy to think that he would step right in from day one with no real offseason and just be that guy. But it's nice. It's really nice to see him becoming that. And we've seen, I guess, like glimpses of it at times. It seems like he's been in and out of the rotation. Um, at times he looks lost. At times he looked manic. At times he looked good. But the key that you hit on to me is, is that confidence. That's the, been the difference these last few games. And, I, and it's enough for me to say that I don't think this is just another, like, hot streak. I think he's here to stay. I think this is real. He set his career high in the Charlotte game points-wise, upped it in the Spurs game, and then matched it again in the Blazers game. So that in itself – and the thing is, Brad's keeping him on the court. The minutes are there because they he's deserved them and they need to be. He's playing as well as pretty much anyone. So – like you said, it all kind of started with that effort and energy. He's been bringing that all along, but it seems like he's, he's really found his spot. He feels good. He's everywhere seemingly, um, you know, that's like a little bit of Marcus and a little bit of, I think you mentioned it even on an early pod that it, it's kind of like that rookie year Jalen, how at a certain point it was like, he just figured it out. And suddenly we were confident putting him in there and it starts with the D it starts with the effort. And sure enough, once he gets those things, he gets consistent minutes, he gets his confidence, and sure enough, the shots start falling, and we start to see that sniper that he was hyped to be as lately, he's been knocking down those shots. So I think it's all kind of tied together. Um, so to me, I, I think he's he's like here. I think this is real. I think he's a real part of the rotation. I mean, when everyone's healthy, we'll see what that means. But, um, you know, another guy we'll talk about in a little bit is Fournier and the way he's just is clearly not right after the COVID. Um but Nismith has come in and almost kind of provided that wing depth that I think we thought we were getting with Fournier. So hopefully he's starting to get back and now we'll actually have shockingly good wing depth, which seemed um, almost impossible a few weeks ago. So that to me is really comforting. And like you said, the offense, the threes, which when we drafted him, I think that was the main thing everyone thought about. Like this kid's a knockdown three point shooter. That's what we need. It's really been everything else. And now the threes are falling and it almost feels like a bonus. Yeah, the that's what we I'm pretty sure beginning of the year or before the season, you know, we weren't hoping for him to be, you know, a huge piece. But we were saying if he can come in and hit shots, hit threes, mm-hmm. uh, then he'd be, you know, serve a serve a purpose on this team. And obviously that never really happened. <laughs> and I think I think the whole point of, you know, slowly working into the, the rotation you know, at least what pro- Brad was probably trying to do is trying to get him to realize he's got to do the other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows he's a good shooter. I mean, if you're a good shooter, you're going to be a good shooter. I mean, um, you know, regardless of, you know, if they weren't falling or in the year, but he's going to be able to hit shots. That's something, you know, he'll probably be able to do the rest of his career. It's yeah. just, I don't think Brad wanted to send him out there and be like, all right, just stand in the corner and hit threes. Definitely. I think he wanted to, you know, wanted him to know that, you know, the NBA, you got to do 
more than one yeah. thing generally. I mean, you can be, mm-hmm. you know, you can be one of those guys, you know, Kyle Corver that are just, you know, hits threes, stands there and you have a role, but if you want to be a real player, you know, getting significant minutes and contributing to, you know, playoff caliber roster, then you're going to have to do the other things. And I think, you know, it's good for him to, um, it's good for him to play with people like Marcus seeing, you know, he's a vet been in the league for however many years now, seven years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's still doing all the little things. Um, I think there are some good, you know, influences. And also too, I think, you know, him playing with some young stars like Jalen and Jason, who obviously are great, but, you know, they're, they're stars at this point. So they're not necessarily diving for loose balls and doing those, you know, the little thing and the little hustle plays. I mean, Mm -hmm. they play hard, but, you know, so you don't kind of You only have so much energy for every game. Like, yeah. Absolutely. So you don't you don't want him to think that you know that's just what you know young stars get to do mm-hmm. just come in and mm-hmm. you know play offense. So I think actually I think Brad probably played this the right way. Um, I think we were kind of frustrated at points, <laughs> wondering why he wasn't getting more minutes, especially when we were losing games. But right, it's 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 a breath of fresh air. It's a it's a nice yeah nice little not a moment goal. too soon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I think we probably should have known better really looking back now. Cause we've, we've seen enough of Brad to know that this is how he is, especially with rookies. You earn your minutes with defense, with effort, with, you know, knowing what you're doing out there. He's not going to put in a guy who's just out there to make shots. Like that is not ever who Brad has been. So we probably should have seen that. Um, and yeah, again, like this is what Jalen was doing as a rookie. Cause he wasn't playing a lot. And I remember rookie year Jalen was in a lot of the same way where it was like, he was flying around. He looked like he was everywhere. He looked like he was just like the fastest, most this athletic person out there and it honestly looked like he was just trying harder than everyone else and that's kind of how he got his start and how he stuck and obviously became what he is now and it's good to see that that's kind of it looks like where Neesmith is at it when he's out there it looks like he is just bringing that intensity to another level and he's realized you know this is my path to minutes and as he does it the more and more he does it he's being rewarded for it and like you said the the three-point shots are now coming and you can see you know another again kudos to Brad as Neesmith is playing better. He ran multiple plays for him out of timeouts where he kind of came around a couple of those, you know, elevator door screens slipped around him, and we got a set play for Neesmith to hit a three. And he, I think he hit it both times. So it's like, you know, a good lesson for a kid. Oh, I work hard. I got played this defense. I get rewarded on the other end, get to make a three. So, um, yeah, I mean, hard to say enough positive stuff out of Neesmith. And like you said, it has seemed almost out of nowhere because he was – someone who he'd almost buried <laughs> this figuring that this was kind of a lost year for him, at least in terms of contributing on the court. Um, as recently as a few weeks ago, I think in the last pod, we, we talked about a bit how he was starting to play well and look better, but I didn't think it was in a way that would really like contribute to anything this season. But now, um, you know, I think he'll, he'll, he's earned a, a real spot in the rotation in the playoffs. And I guess that's the next question. Cause I think we both agree that this is bigger probably in a macro sense, like for the future than anything else. Whereas now it looks like Neesmith is a real, like a really good young building block alongside the Jays, who is, you know, what we've kind of wanted a third wing who can come in and give either of them a break and kind of do what they do a little bit, at least for now. Um, and hopefully more as he ages, but can also play right alongside them. We can have those three wings. He's another, he's the kind of defender Brad wants can switch everything. Uh, you know, can do it all. That's really what the Celtics are all about. And it seems like we, we got one, which uh, again, about a month ago, people were referring to him as like a bust, which 
I don't know how much we can talk about how silly it is to judge rookies, um, you know, before they've played in the league a few years, especially these young guys who didn't have a ton of experience in college, but we're already seeing that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge reason for optimism going forward is again, now he's, he feels like he's a real piece of what we're building here, fits the timeline, all that. Uh, I think, you know, we're on the same page in terms of that. I think the, the question right now is if we make it into these playoffs and, you know, in, into a seven game series, which is not a given <laughs> um, and everyone's healthy, which again is not a given how much of a, of a role do you think Neesmith has in these playoffs? Assuming, you know, Kemba's back, we have our real starting lineup. Fournier is our first wing off the bench. And then if Rob is starting, like, I think the starting five and then Thompson and Fournier is the sixth and seventh man is set. In the playoffs, you probably only play eight guys, maybe nine guys. So where does that leave Neesmith once the playoffs start? Well, I think, I mean, at this point, Neesmith has demanded playoff minutes, I think. I mean, obviously there's, you know, the, the rest of the season, you know, he could, you know, pitter away. But, um, but you know, assuming he plays, you know, like he's been playing, I don't mm-hmm. think there's any chance he doesn't see the court in the playoffs. At least, you know, not, maybe not 20 to 30 minutes, but he's worthy of 10 to 15 minutes a game, even in the playoffs. And I know mm-hmm. there's only so many minutes to go around, but um, you know, what it seems like it's been happening lately is that it's been him and Romeo, you know, kind of battling for that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. last or second to last spot in the rotation going into the playoffs. So, you know, yeah. after, you know, after the starting five and then the two obvious off the bench, I mean, he could be the next off the bench, um, you know, him or maybe Pritch. Yeah. Um, I, I think. And Pritchard's minutes, uh, you know, Pritchard obviously is like a true point guard, so it's not directly tied together, right. but it does seem like Neesmith has, has eaten into that role. Um, yeah. And especially again, when we've got Kemba and Marcus, who's basically a point guard too, like, we at least have the option. That's, that's, I think the best thing about this for this year's playoffs is that Neesmith has given us more options in the playoffs. He's given Brad more options. Whereas now if Pritchard's playing poorly, we can Kemba and Marcus can be the two point guards and we've got Neesmith to come in and he can do most things better than Pritchard. So that's great. Um, Do you think there's any chance that Brad would consider uh, having one of Marcus or Kemba on the bench and starting either Neesmith or Fournier just to balance it in that sense? And then he really doesn't have to play Pritchard. Um, I think you should consider it. I don't know. I don't know if he would do that. I mean, it depends on if Kemba like came to Brad and was like, Hey, I'm, you know, happy to come off the bench in a six-man mm-hmm. role well i think it would probably it. be marcus more likely yeah, I mean, just he's, he's kind of marcus. done that his whole career um well, i can't i know. can't see i can't see kemba going to the bench so i think that would be right you know it'd probably be marcus if anyone um yeah. and yeah i mean he's done that for you know most of his career so i don't think he'd have a problem necessarily and i mean he's not like you know him going to the bench means he's gonna be no, playing hit, bench minutes. I mean, he's still right, going right, to play right. 30 yeah. plus minutes a game. The minutes won't change. He'll still be in a crunch time. Again, it yeah. would be more than anything else about kind of giving the 
the bulk of the bench minutes to Pritch- so Neesmith instead of Pritchard. So right. I guess, how do you feel about that? Like, would you rather, are you already ready to say that you'd rather Neesmith in that role than Pritchard? Uh, what's, what's going on with Pritchard? Cause his minutes have taken a hit. I still, yeah. you know, I still feel pretty good when he's out there. Um, he's continued to knock down shots uh, more than anything else, where I think we've talked about oh, a few other things have fallen back, but you know, obviously he's not very big. He's not bringing a ton to the table on defense, um, especially not compared to what Neesmith has been doing lately. So is that something you want to see happen and kind of those minutes go to Neesmith? Or do you think that Pritchard has already earned a solid bench spot in the playoffs? Um, I mean, I don't think, I think we need to see how the season ends. If mm-hmm. season ended, you know, today or yeah. after last game, then I don't see how you can not play Neesmith over yeah. Pritch. I mean, if it's one or the other, I think you got to yeah, go. And, and I'm not saying it necessarily will be one or the other. Um, you know, yeah. you can play nine guys. They can both play, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. And I hope that, you know, once the playoffs start, Brad will, uh, will adjust and I'm confident that he will. And, you know, if Fournier has another one of those games where it looks like he's just not where he's out of it, that those minutes should go to Neesmith. And the last few games they have been, I'm just, you know, once again, we haven't really still, we still have not played a game where everyone is actually out there. Our whole rotation, our top, whatever you want to call it, eight, nine guys, whatever it is, we still haven't seen it even in a regular season game. So if, and when that happens, it'll be, very interesting to kind of see how Brad plays it. Um, but I think either way, it's, it's great that we even have these options. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an option that we never really saw coming, which is right. even more exciting. Um, yeah. I mean, I think when, when we got, when we got Fournier, you know, that was kind of, this is what we were expecting to have that, you know, depth wing now mm-hmm. and we have that, but now we have Nisa <laughs> too. So yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think now we're like, we have too many wings by any means, but I don't think you can ever have too many yeah, wings. In this league. <laughs> but, um, you know, for Pritch too, it's, he, he can get hot. So I don't want to yeah. see him just get, you know, buried in the bench. And I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. there's really anyone else on the bench that really deserves, you know, should be given more minutes than him. Um, so I think you, you know, you play him, you know, when you need to see if he can get hot. I mean, he's, his three-point shooting has been yeah. very impressive. All year, um, absolutely. All year. and I, I mean, I feel like every time he takes a three, I'm expecting it to go in. Um, I don't know what he's shooting on the season, but it's just like it, it feels that way for me now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he comes in, you know, you bring him in, he hits a couple threes, you know, maybe that means he's getting heating up, and then, you know, you give him a few more minutes and it, you keep him in as long as he's hot. And then, you know see where it mm-hmm. goes, but you gotta, yeah. you gotta play him. He's earned minutes. Definitely. Um, and then just see how he's playing that game. It's game to game. See, you know, if he's coming out hot or if he's not, then just keep rolling with Neesmith. Cause I think we have enough, you know, we have enough guards. Yeah. Plenty of wings where I think we, we suddenly have enough of everything, which yeah. <laughs> didn't seem like it was possible at a time for most of the year. But I mean, again, this is all, <laughs> if we actually can kind of magically get healthy in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, right. it feels close, but not so sure. Um, and then beyond that, like just in terms of the rotation, I think it's pretty much those eight or nine. And I think everyone else is matchup based. Like I think in the right situation, we could see some Grant Williams, uh, some Romeo, but I think those guys at this point are more of kind of like a, 
wait and see. And uh, if it's warranted, they'll get in there. But I, I think there's no guarantee that anyone other than the eight to nine guys we've mentioned will and should see the court in playoff games. So no Jabari, you're saying? <laughs> I'm very happy to see that Jabari has quickly <laughs> fallen to the very end of the bench. And I don't mean that as a knock on Jabari. I just mean that if we're relying on Jabari for big minutes, we are probably screwed. So the fact that these guys have kind of outplayed him and kept him on the bench is, is definitely a good thing. Um, and I mean, he's maybe the, I said it for Grant and Romeo, but Jabari is probably the ultimate, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of deal where if we need, like, if nothing's going right and we are just like, we need someone who can just score a basket right now, maybe I'll get in there. But uh, again, with how much Brad just does not like playing guys who are bad at defense, I don't think it's too surprising that after about a week or two of that experiment, it seems like he's uh, on mothballs. Such a luxury to have Jabari, though. Deep in the Such bench. a luxury. I Such mean, a luxury. Like, you never know when you're going to need Jabari. <laughs> you know that you're never going to need Jabari. <laughs> Oh, hopefully. Uh, I've been able to almost forget that he's even on the team anymore, which has been nice. Yeah. I, I, do, <laughs> Sorry. I do pretty much forget. Every, it just, it seemed, it's just really weird seeing him in a Celtics uniform. <laughs> it it um, is still kind of weird. So every time, every time like he, he comes on the court, I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't a dream. He really is playing for the Celtics. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah, not a dream. Not at all a dream. It's a reality. <laughs> maybe a, a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hey, maybe that, yeah kind of sparked Neesmith to wake up. So maybe in that it's sense, awful. it was <laughs> can't rule it out. This old breaking down load of a human just yeah. coming in and taking my minutes. Right. <laughs> I guess it worked then. I guess so. Oh um, boy. So other than that, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate seeing Shemi and Grant, you know, not is that in certain situations, certain times, certain matchups, they have value, um, but they're not, you know, they're not part of the rotation anymore. No, um, which is fine. I still I think, think there's hope it. hope in the future for Romeo. If he can ever mm-hmm. get like a full healthy off season, I still think there's a good player there. He's still younger than Neesmith even. Um, but yeah, he's, he's probably not ready for the big time. It just didn't come together on offense. And it's one of those things too, where again, we talked so much about how Neesmith has kind of carved out his role with effort and energy. Mm. Romeo, I still like him and it's probably unfair to say, but he's like the opposite. He looks like he's yeah. out there almost like permanently stoned. And he's like yeah. sluggish. It's just like his demeanor and stuff. Um, he does have that glassy look in his eyes. At yeah. All like, yeah. And he's obviously fast, very athletic and yeah. fast, but it just seems like he's moving almost like in slow motion sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, everything when he's, when he has a good game, it's mostly just, you know, based on his talent. Cause I mean, obviously he's super talented. Right. Um, but no, and I'm not does. saying he's I'm not saying he's not giving effort or anything like no, that. No, no. It's just the stark contrast in the eye test between him and Neesmith, who you'd think are kind of fighting for that same spot. It's like right. it looks like one guy is going hundred miles per hour and the other one's kind of just going through the motions. Well, if this doesn't get you know Romeo going, the whole you know how yeah. Neesmith has played, then right. I don't know if anything will. So I mean this is this should be good for him. Um yeah. or good for us to evaluate if you know what he's yeah. got. But I mean he's you know, he's has had good good games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he should be able to provide almost exactly what Neesmith is providing other than the, the shooting. Right. But, you know, there's no reason why he can't be busting his ass, you know, 
jumping on loose balls and just, you know, exactly. going nuts. So, I mean, yeah, I'd like to should, see him should, out yeah. there playing like his, you know, like his career depends on it, which right. just it haven't might, seen, but it might, pay. it might, it might, well, not yet, but it, it will soon. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So it sounds like we're pretty much on the same page with, uh, Neesmith and yeah, the number one takeaway, I really want to see that kind of continue the rest of the year and hopefully we can rely on him with no problem. I'm already at that point where I'm like, you know, get him in. As soon as I see something bad, get Neesmith in there. <laughs> He's a difference maker. He changes the whole, the energy. So, Hey, you need that. Um, all right. Other, other takeaways. Um, I mean, honestly, my other takeaway was Pritch. And I know it's not a, you know, a major takeaway, but, and we pretty much touched on it already, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, he, I know he's not, you know, playing out of his mind, but I think he's kind of settled back into that role that, you know, he was earlier in the year where it's kind of like, he's having like an up and down where it's like early in the year, he was playing, you know, perfectly into his role, mm-hmm. uh, playing hard, confident shooting. And then he kind of, you know, faded away a little bit and then he came back and he faded away. And I feel like now he's kind of, you know, figuring it out where, you know, he, he, he just, he's got to just be play within himself. And I mean, I think right now what he's doing is just shooting confidently. Um, And I don't don't think that's necessarily who he's going to be. He's not going to be a shooter, but Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, I think he's, figuring out that he just has to do what he's doing well at the time. Um, and, you know, he's had, you know, two of the last four games were duds, but, you know, he had a 28 point game in there. I think he had, I don't know, 13 last game or something, but um, I like what he's providing. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, what he's providing isn't, you know, superstar level or anything. It's just, I think he's starting to fill that role that we thought he was going to fill all season. Um I think it's just more, you know, it's more of a modest role than it was, you know, the first couple of weeks yeah. of the season when he was you know, playing out of his mind. Sure. Yeah. And I think we, I think we touched on it. One of the last few pods too, where it seemed like at the beginning of the year, what was great is he was, he seemed like he was really such a true good all around point guard for us. And then, like you said, now it seems like he's kind of fallen into being just like a spot up shooter. And if the first couple of shots aren't falling, like, he's not bringing much else to the table where I feel like at the beginning of the year, he was, he was really pressuring the hoop pressuring the defense in general. He was pushing the ball to make doing the little things. Um, and again, just kind of like running our offense. Whereas now it feels like he's kind of just out there and he's looking for open shots, which again is, is fine. And that's why he's our eighth or ninth guy at this point. But, um, there have been a few games recently where he's played very little and that Brad has gone to Tremont even over him, which has been deserved because Tremont's played really well. But I think more, it's kind of more like a pump the brakes on Pritchard where, like you said, I mean, the first month people are thinking like this kid's the point guard of the future, next star. Now it's like, yeah, this is probably why he was drafted at the end of the first round. He's a good player, but yeah, this is probably kind of what he is. And what he is, you know, is fine. He's good. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I think obviously everyone got a little too excited at the beginning of the year, <laughs> sure. but this is probably what he is. This is why he was, you know, picked in the twenties and, yeah. you know, he was, um, you know, he was pretty well developed coming out of college mm-hmm. uh, as far as his, you know, NBA, you know, skill set. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, he was right. Yeah. This is what, you know, we wanted. We wanted somebody that could, you know, contribute right away. 
Obviously, right. Neesmith is much more talented in pretty much yeah. every way, but he was more of a project, obviously. And that's kind of what you're seeing now is that the over the course of the year, the, as he gets comfortable, the talent is playing out, whereas Pritchard, yeah. it's, you know, what we thought. He was NBA-ready. Yeah. He stepped in, and I don't think we're expecting some huge leap, whereas with Neesmith, that is kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, so. I think I think Pritch will develop into, you know, a solid – you know, depth guard for us. And I mean, I, I could see him having a long career. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he has, you know, the necessary skill set and the, you know, demeanor to be a point guard in this league, I, you know, not a star, but I think he should hang around for a while. So I'm excited yeah, yeah. about him regardless. Yeah. No, I think so too. All right. Uh, any other takeaways? Is that all, what you, your main, what you had? Yeah, it's pretty much what I had. I don't really want to talk about OKC if, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Unless we fair. have to, but... Well, the one thing I will say, because we did get some slack, some people were upset about how kind of we had belittled OKC. Um, mm. I don't really regret anything I said, although the one thing I failed to mention was all of the Massachusetts connections on that team. Um, Mark Dagnall, of course, the head coach, who's from Lemonster, Mass., had his whole family in the house, even mentioned that this was kind of their Super Bowl. Of course, GM Sam oh. Presti is from Concord, Mass., and uh, Darius Baisley was born in Brockton. So a lot of Massachusetts connections. Dagnall said he had kind of his whole family in the house. Um, the fact that they even mentioned it was their Super Bowl. So I guess that <laughs> eases the pain slightly. But uh, no, yeah, still just all around bad. Um, all right. Other takeaways. I, I mean, you got to talk about Jason Tatum. Um, like you said, at this point, it's kind of what we've come to expect. But even he's been pushing even those boundaries lately. Um, in April, I mean, he... Was, I don't know if you want to call it a snub that they gave Julius Randle player of the month. Um, Tatum's numbers were better. The teams had the same record in games that each guy played. And, you know, again, Tatum won player of the week twice in April. He set his career high with 44 points. He bettered that with 53 points. And then, of course, he had the 60 ball against the Spurs. Um, I don't know. Running out of superlatives for Tatum, he played – if he played like this all year, he'd be the MVP of the league. Yeah, that's probably safe to say. I mean, I don't know. He'd be in contention for sure. Yeah, but, well, yeah, right. It's He's playing at an MVP level, basically, yes, uh, yes. as well as anyone in the league for this past month. And really, even since the All-Star break, you look at what he's doing. Um, it's just been absurd. Yeah. And, I mean, the last, you know, what is it, the last three games, <laughs> yeah. he's averaging 42 points a game. I mean, he was, play, he was player of the week, yeah. obviously. It was four, all four games. For the four games, he averaged, I think, 42 points a game for the week, yeah. which was yeah. four, so whatever. It was, so. it's or impressive. maybe it was three. Uh, either way, yeah. yeah. It's just – So, I mean, it's it's not like, you know, it's not like he's coming out scoring 60 and then next game, you know, you're getting like a 15, 18-point effort out of him, you know, shooting seven for 25 or whatever. He's mm-hmm. He's just been real solid. And, I mean – He's shooting over 50% and he's shooting almost 60% from three, which I think has been a huge part of it. Cause when he's, when he's hitting uh, threes, you know, confidently, I feel like the rest of his game kind of, you know, the rest of his game kind of grows off of that in a sense. And I mean, mm-hmm. not that I want him shooting a ton of threes because I want him going into the basket and, you know, driving through contact and, you know, that's when he's at his best mm-hmm. when he's taking it to the hoop and it's and what think, he's been doing and it's what he's been doing. And I yeah. think, you know, that 
you know, in conjunction with shooting threes is why he's been able to score. Because he, when he's when he's taking all these step back threes, you know, and they're not falling, I feel like he almost presses a little bit, um, you know, almost shooting more threes. But, yeah. you know, what was it? Game against San Antonio when he obviously had 60. I mean, he got to the line 17 times. And I love to see that. Uh, yeah. The other, the other two games were, you know, eight free throws, seven free throws. I mean, he should always be in that, you know, eight free throw a game range. Um, I mean, I, I think, I think he's good enough to do that. I mean, you should, yeah. He's, yeah. And that'll come. He's not going to get 17 a game, but like you said, no. if he plays this way, continues to play this way, he's going to be right, you know, up there eight to 10 free throws a game, something like that, which is what we want, what we need. Um, and it's promising to me too, that he's doing it. I mean, he was going at Jacob Pertle over and over again in that Spurs game and who Pertle is a really good rim protector too. So that is, that's what you want to see. He's, I mean, it's one thing when it's Ennis Cantor and you see him kind of smiling as he's sizing him up and waiting, deciding what dunk he's going to do, but to go at relentlessly at a guy like Pertle like that, that's when, you know, he's feeling it. And uh, he was, and it was kind of, uh, it seemed like there was a bad call, a really bad call on a loose ball rebound that went against him. And what I love to see is that, you know, he's, there's been games where it seems like the refs kind of affected him and he just couldn't get over it. This was like the opposite. He saw that call and he just got pissed and he kind of upped it to another level. And he, it was one of the first times where you've seen, like he had that look almost that nobody is stopping him right now. And he knew it. Um, so again, I'm not saying he's going to score 60 points every night, but I think it's, it's little things like this that happen and and him realizing when I play like this, I am unstoppable right now. Nope. Not any, like in a few years, like right now he can play like that and nobody can do a damn thing about it. Yeah. And I agree about, you know, I love to see him get mad. I mean, when he gets angry and, Mm -hmm. you know, goes to the basket with full set of steam and just, you know, know he's going to score or get fouled. He's basically unstoppable. Um, and what's what he's doing really well. Well, a couple of things he's doing really well. One, obviously, is when he's going to the basket, he's learning how to get the ball to, you know, the rest of his teammates. And he's starting to learn how to make his teammates better, which I think is something that, you know, I don't think you can be mm-hmm. great without being able to do that. So, yeah that's been one of the things we've been, you know, hoping for as a progression for him um, the last couple of years. And I think we're finally starting to see that. And then another thing he's starting, I feel like he's really starting to identify mismatches. Definitely. um, Which, you know, I know he can pretty much score on anybody, you know, as long as, you know, in the right matchup, but Mm -hmm. he, he's seeing, you know, he, he gets into the post if there's a smaller guy on him. He's going at bigger bodies. He's just, he sees the matchup and he just does what needs to be done. Um, yeah. Instead of, you know, just dancing around, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. he gets a little, you know, excited with his little, you know, fadeaway <laughs> po- yeah. uh, corner shot, elbow shot, but which is fine. I mean, it, he hits those, you know, fairly consistently, but I think yep. rather than settling, he's identifying the matchup and going at it. And that's super encouraging. Yeah. And I mean, again, got to want to point out to zero turnovers in that 60 point game mm. is just incredible for how high his usage was, how much he had the ball. Um, I think he had six turnovers in the Blazers game. So it's not like something that's just fixed. Um, 
and that's probably, you know, one of the biggest things he needs to work on when he's going to have the ball this much, but that was very encouraging to see. Um, it's all there. I mean, he's not the best player in the league right now, but like, it's all there. So we got a question on Twitter from Jim Leahy uh, that was basically saying that he thinks maybe the Jays don't have the it factor and are going to be better long-term as, num- you know, the number two and three guys. What's your thoughts on that real quick? Real quick? <laughs> well, I don't I, – I, well, unless we have an argument. No, no, no. Um, I mean, you can't – I don't know how you could say they don't have the – I mean, define the it factor. I mean, he's <laughs> – Yeah, right. I mean, what's what – ha, what, so, okay. what is it me, that they haven't shown? Let me ask Jim's question a different way. Do you think that – and you can answer separately for Tatum and Brown if there's a different answer, but do you think they've proven to you enough that they can be the best player on a championship team at some point? Not necessarily this year, right. but, I mean – assuming, you know, nothing drastic happens, like, is that, have you seen enough to say that or where, where would you put that? I mean, I know it's a, it's a hard question to answer and a lot of variables, but yeah. I mean, from what we've seen ob- and where we're at. It's obviously a projection. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, I think Tatum has shown that he can be in spurts. The end of last year, you know, and, and in the bubble, he looked like, he looked like that guy mm-hmm. um, at points this season. He looked like that guy and there were some points where he didn't. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks, he looks like he is again. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I've heard, I've still heard people talking about how they don't think he's a guy that can necessarily carry a team, you know, will his team to victories. You know, he gets a, he gets a lot of comparisons to Carmelo Anthony, which I know you hate to hear, which. Why would I hate to hear that? Well, in a negative connotation. So what people are saying necessarily is that he's a great scorer, <laughs> but doesn't elevate his teammates. And right. I think that's, that's very, that's an unfair, obviously. <laughs> very. To, say, to both players. But yes, I mean, I don't, if, if you're watching these games the last few weeks, I mean, Tatum is not just scoring 60 mm-hmm. points and 30 plus points at 40 points. I mean, he's doing other things. And I mean, if you can be, you can be a great scorer and not be the best player on your team, sure. you know, and not be good enough to elevate your team, but he's not just being a great scorer. I mean, he's, he's distributing, he's a solid rebounder. He's a solid defender. I mean, He's not just a scorer. So I think mm-hmm. in order to be the best player on your team, you have to do multiple things really well. You know, one thing great and other things really well. And I think I think he's proving he can do that. It's just can he do it consistently for, you know, an entire season, an entire postseason? Um, and I don't think we're going to know that for, you know, until he's really in his prime, which in theory is probably three years away. Right. Um, And I think that's the main thing that people miss when they kind of analyze Tatum, assuming that he's some finished product and that he should be leading a team to win it all right now by himself. So I think (laughs) to me, there's Tatum has proven anything you could ever want him to prove and more at this point in his career. I mean, he's just recently turned 23. 
and he's you know he's set every record for the only the youngest guy to do this the youngest guy to do that um you know we keep hearing all no one in this age has done this has done that so at this point it's like yeah he's already one of the 10 or so best guys in the entire league and he's so young you look around like for the people who don't think tatum can whatever you said carry a team by himself what player ever has at age 23 at this point in their career what player has done more than he has done for their team individually all of that LeBron, like kind of, but he didn't win until he went to Miami. He took the Cavs to a title once. Um, but yeah, he left because he couldn't do it by himself. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, it took him a lot longer in his career to get to this point. Uh, whoever you want to choose. My point is like, I don't think you could possibly, possibly w- expect more from them. What we've seen out of Jason Tatum. I think if you drafted an NBA players under 25 to build a team around right now, it would be it's Luca and then it's Tatum. Like Zion maybe is comes in after that, but like he's so much better than all these other quote unquote young players. You know, it, it, he's mentioned with the stars because he's on that level. Um, so I mean, I guess the question is, will he achieve that like top five player in the whole league peak? To me, I think yeah, barring something you know kind of like unfortunate happening. I've seen it. He's going to be there probably sooner than you would expect. I think in the two years by age 25, he'll be one of the best handful of players in the league, if not kind of already. So I couldn't feel better about building around Jason Tatum as him being our guy to uh, lead us to the promised land and to win a title. Now, if you talk about Jalen, is he there? Maybe not, but we also don't necessarily, you don't need two number ones. Um, so, I mean, if Jalen can be a perfect number two to Brown, uh, to Tatum's number one, then that's all we need. Like, we don't need two the guys, so to speak. But, I mean, I definitely think Jalen can be the best player on a team. Is that a championship team? Maybe not. But, again, how many guys in the entire NBA are good enough to lead a team to a championship? Like, five? <laughs> so... We're talking about a really, really, really small select group. Um, and I think, you know, we've got one of those guys. And I think Jalen, we'll see. I mean, people have been betting against Jalen probably his whole career. And it's like every year he comes back better and takes another step that nobody saw coming. So it would be silly to think that he's done growing and improving. Um, so, no, I mean, I'm still totally good on the Jays. I think they're both way ahead of schedule. Um, and if anything, like, their biggest reason people are down on them is probably just because they've been so ahead of schedule. They've set the bar so high that they've created unrealistic expectations. So people want to jump all over them, but um, I've seen more than enough in Tatum. It's, it's all coming together. The playmaking, the passing is, is coming at a faster rate than it does for all these other kind of wing scorers. He's already one of the best off ball defenders in the whole league. Uh, his rebounding numbers are climbing up to, you know, un- un- uncharted waters for him. So, yeah, uh, he's he's going to be a true alpha dog for hopefully a long time coming. Um, he's already there. Like, again, if things broke right this year, if other guys were playing better and things had gone a different way, we could be looking at a, a higher seed. And I don't think anyone would be saying this stuff. It's all kind of just looking at the results. Um, and you know, they're look at our record and our payroll and where we've been the last few years and people don't get it. But, um, to blame those top two guys to me is, is just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. They've, they've done everything they can for us this year. Um, and then some, 
Depends on. I mean, and really, what, also one other thing was that when you mentioned kind of like there have been moments where Tatum hasn't looked great. I think at this point, it's safe to say that that was COVID. He was out for COVID. Okay. He came back. He's talked about how hard it was for him to get back up to speed. Um, and I mean, especially when you look at how badly Evan Fournier is struggling now, going through the same thing. It's like, yeah, he had to get through it. He largely has, and it shows because now he looks right back to where he was at the end of last year. Like he's absolutely turned a corner with the COVID and he's back to being that guy. So I, I think it's, it's getting again, safer and safer to say that it was the COVID affecting him probably more than anything else. Yeah. I don't want to call Jim Leahy an idiot because he's <laughs> for the, certainly for the not. record, Jim Leahy was not saying that was his opinion. He was more just saying he right. hears a lot of that and wanted to know our thoughts. He does hear a lot on. So we, we appreciate the, we appreciate the feedback and definitely the, the inquiry. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. that's why we're here to kind of respond to those other people in the Boston media, um, you know, on the radio stations and stuff who don't really, don't really follow the team. Don't really follow the NBA are kind of looking for the, the hot take in the moment. Um, they look at a box score, look at the record and just kind of make conclusions. Obviously not what we do. Right. All right. Uh, all right. I think that's enough on Tatum <laughs> kind of got mm. into it more than I thought. Other takeaways I'll, I'll poke through. Um, Evan Fournier, man tough to watch after COVID he's he finally talked he looked better last game and he, he opened up about it uh in his post game saying that it kind of feels like he has a concussion almost that he's kind of foggy feels out of it it's hard for him to move to get his breath um he actually used the word heartbreaking to describe the situation which is it's just tough to hear for a guy who's been in the league for a while now has always been a solid player but he kind of mentioned this was this was the first time he was on a team where he felt like he could contribute and help that team get over the hump and um just super frustrating tough to watch again i hope that he's he's kind of getting back into the swing of things because we we obviously really need him um but I guess the bigger issue is it's tough. If, if this is kind of what we get from Fournier and he can't get fully back up to speed, it really kind of throws a wrench in things because then we got to make a really, really important decision that'll have long-term ramifications coming up in terms of whether we're going to pay him or what. Um, and it's just unfortunate that we still, as the season's coming into an end, still haven't really gotten a fair chance to assess Evan Fournier and his fit with the Celtics, which it just kind of sucks. Yeah, it does really suck. And I mean, you know, obviously you could tell he was struggling coming back from COVID, you know, before mm-hmm. he opened up about it. But um, I think it really helped, you know, un- helped us understand like what he's really going through. Um, so, you know, I didn't want to, I don't want to blame him, you know, for the way he's played. You can't. <laughs> you can't really. really blame him for the way he's played. Obviously. If anything, I give him credit for tr- for going out there and trying, yeah. like, to fight yeah. through this. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's making excuses either. I mean, I don't think that's really something that you. No, I think it's it's you, pretty clear. About. It's pretty clear yeah. from watching. It's not like he's you know looking like himself. He's just missing shots. It's yeah. like he just looks out of it. I mean, yeah, yeah, like he described it. Looks like he's playing with a concussion or yeah. like he has the flu or something. So yeah. it sucks. I really hope uh, again he hit some shots last game against Portland and he made. He made some really nice plays effort wise uh, on defense specifically. I think that one mm-hmm. possession where he was right up on McCollum, poked it yeah. away a couple of times and finally dove on the floor to steal it before uh, passing from the floor to Tatum for a dunk. So yeah. hopefully, you know, he's starting to get back into it. And with another couple of weeks, if the playoffs are coming, he'll really be 
back to what we'd expect. But at this point, it's seeming like that would be more of like a luxury than an expectation, which is really, really unfortunate. And there's not really anyone to blame. Um, This just just sucks. It's all the more reason why this Neesmith, you know, arrival has become even more important. But yeah, definitely. And it'll, like even, you said, it'll be interesting if, if Fournier does continue to look like this, if Neesmith will kind of just keep gradually taking over that yeah. role. Because, like I said, all of these games are almost pseudo playoff games. So it's yeah. like we can't, at a certain point, we can't just let afford to let Fournier at less than 100% try to fight through it. Right. Um, so. You know, and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, uh, but I mean, when you see this guy, you know, he's had a couple of games where he's actually dialed in mm-hmm. and he looks, yeah. you know, perfect in that role. So it's that's right. even more disappointing, you know, because mm-hmm. of that. I mean, if he was just came out and was like, you know, going over seven every single game and be like, all right, well, let's just put this guy on the bench and let him get his, get his head straight. But then, you know, he'll have a game where he, you know, where he's just hot from three, making good plays, good defensive efforts. Like you said, um, you know, you see the flashes. Mm-hmm. So it's, you get excited. And then the next night, you know, he doesn't know which right. way's up. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Um, do you think this changes anything in terms of off season plans with Fournier or, I, I mean, it, it's, no, it's hard to, no. yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't no, really <laughs> gauge anything from what you've seen so far. Um, That's fair. I don't know. I mean, let's, let's at least see what happens in the playoffs. I mean, maybe he, you know, gets, gets his back, but gets it back a little mm-hmm. bit, but um, I don't know. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can put too much stock into what we've seen so far. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. It just sucks. And again, we just really hope that uh, he can kind of start to get it back starting tonight against his former team. He'll mm-hmm. play for the first time against Orlando, which he's, he said wasn't really a huge thing to him that, you know, he's kind of moved on from that and they pretty much blew the team up. So I don't, I don't think it'll be that weird, but on Friday we do play his old buddy, Nikola Vucevic and that he said, they are really close. So that should be interesting. So hopefully, uh, you know, going back to Orlando playing and then facing his buddy Vooch can maybe start to help him uh, get in a rhythm or something. But it seems like at this point, it's really more about the health, health, getting, uh, getting back to hundred percent fit and healthy. Yep. And uh, let's hopefully that starts today. Amen to that. All right. Um, my next takeaway, these are kind of quick ones. Marcus, Marcus, the playmaker, having him kind of be the starting point guard and especially without Kemba for these last few games, having really no backup. Again, I mentioned Pritchard has barely played. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it makes for another kind of interesting question for Brad once everyone's healthy, because it kind of seems like, I don't know if I could say the team is at their best, but I certainly think Marcus is at his best when he's kind of running the show, but like as a distributor, seems like he's not really looking for his shot. He's just getting everyone else involved. He dished out, I think 12 assists in the Spurs game. Um, he's been up over, over double digit assists several times these last few games. And it really looks like that's kind of just the perfect role for him. He's got those true point guard instincts. He knows who needs a touch. He's finding the open guy. I mean, that alley-oop he threw to, he threw one to Rob from about half court and then threw one off a set play to Romeo that were about as perfect a pass as you could throw. Um, and then of course, having him at point guard means we're getting one of Fournier and Neesmith in there with the Jays. So it kind of makes our whole, it certainly makes our defense a lot better. Um, 
So again, I'm, I touched on it briefly that I don't know if Brad will consider making like a major rotational change, but it's just good to see that we have that versatility. So if Kemba's having an off night, we don't have to just live through it and have him crush us on defense. We've got these other options. Um, that's at least to me are pretty intriguing and it's good to see. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, Marcus has to be our point guard, um, even when Kemba's back. And I, I mean, you know, maybe, you know, on paper, Kemba is our point guard, but um, Marcus has to be the one setting up the offense. Um, he's just, that's what he's, that's what he's designed to do. I mean, that's what he's best at. Yeah. Um, you know, Kemba's never really been a true point guard. He's, you know, a scoring point guard. Um, and he's been good in that role. It's just, like you said, I think maybe we're at our best when Marcus is running the show. And I think that's fine because I think Kemba can still, you know, be Kemba in that off guard role. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, he's not, you know, ball dominant. No, um, he doesn't have to be. And again, before he got hurt this last time, it seemed like Kemba was much lower usage rate. His assists mm-hmm. were up. It seemed like he was kind of embracing that more. So, Again, it seems like anytime anything remotely good starts to happen in this team, someone gets hurt. So, of course. And, you know, last week we were saying we thought they were just resting him against Oaks AC strategically, but no, it turns out it was a real oblique screen and Kemba hasn't played in the last week. So, but he's back tonight and off the injury report. So, there we go. Yeah, that's promising. So, curious. But of course, at the end of last game, that horrific horrific looking play where Tatum and Brown kind of rolled each other's ankles Tatum seems to be fine Brown is out but um Brad says he's just truly day-to-day and uh so I'm kind of hoping you know rest him hopefully we can get these two wins against the Magic and the Bulls and then if he's good to go next week against the Heat that would be awesome yeah um I know we've said you know none of these games we can take for granted anymore any matchup but we can't we gotta we have to take we have to take care of business against Orlando and Chicago. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, hopefully we can do that without Jalen. I mean, obviously I want him back as soon as he's healthy, but mm-hmm. the longer we can get him rest, the better. Um, yeah. I mean, you said about anybody, but you know, we need to be winning games, but we need him to be healthy, I think, especially for the Miami series. I think he's yeah. He's, he's got to be huge for us against Miami. Um, Definitely. And I know so. people get frustrated that they think, oh, my God, like, he's got to be out there. We can't arrest these guys, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. Brad's been pretty consistent all year that they're, you know, health is the number one priority. They're not going to chase wins over health long term. And mm-hmm. it is frustrating, like you said. But at the end of the day, I'd rather go into the playoffs fully healthy as a seven seed than completely <laughs> banged up and fatigued as a four seed. Like, you know, because if that's the case, if we go in and we're not 100%, we have no chance. It doesn't matter what seed we are. It doesn't matter who we play. Right. If we're completely healthy, all our top eight, nine guys are 100%, we still have a shot against anyone. Like, that's what it comes down to. So it's frustrating, and I get people are mad that, you know, it seems like guys are maybe taking nights off, which I don't, I don't want to say if anyone's taking nights off. I think it's needed rest and injury healing. But um. I think people are wondering, you know, why isn't there more of a sense of urgency? But again, like if these guys aren't healthy and re- and somewhat <laughs> energized for the playoffs, it, then none of it really matters. Like why go all out to chase a four seed if you get there and you have nothing left in the tank? Yeah, it's health over everything right now. Um, yeah. I mean, we're 
you know, we're, we will make at least the playoff. I mean, the playing series. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, lose some games, I guess, at the end mm-hmm. of the year, go into the playing series, you know, go into the playing um, game, you know, healthy and then see what happens. Cause I mean, you know, fully healthy where, you know, we're a formidable opponent for anybody. Right. Um, it's just, we haven't been, we haven't been that all year. So um, no. And it seems and like I, it's finally yeah. starting to happen. Yeah. Maybe I'd rather, you know, regardless of how far we go, I'd rather see us at full strength and see what we look like. I mean, for yeah, next year or the future. Sure. And obviously it feels good to win playoff series, but at the end of the day, if we want to be anyone, we're going to have to beat one of those best three teams. Uh, and, you know, maybe more than one if we really want to make a run. So, like, what does it matter when we play them? You know, eventually we're going to have to beat a team like Brooklyn. So, right. if we play them in the first round and play our best and push them to seven, like, I want to win. But, you know, whether that happens in the first round or the conference finals, at the end of the day, it's kind of like the same result. So, right. yeah, it'd be great to get in that four or five seed and have, a, you know, at least on paper, an easier path. But, at the end of the day, it's like kind of secondary to making sure we're, we're actually ready to go for whoever we face. Yeah. And whenever we face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we've been pushing hard for the, you know, say we need to get four or five seed mm-hmm. um, for a long time. And, you know, obviously that's was the goal and still would be ideal, but just considering how everything's fallen into place, I think we just need to get healthy more than anything. Yeah. Um, and then my last takeaway, cause again, I feel like people only point out the bad stuff with Brad Stevens, but I think he's been great lately. Um, and I mean, especially in that Spurs game, like he was just lights out. Like he just, he outcoached pop badly in that second half. Um, and again, it's just a little stuff. I mean, I talked about, we talked about how we've kind of given him credit now for the way he's brought Neesmith along. And again, how he was kind of running plays for him out of timeouts were great. I, um, you know, I mean, his ATO is out of time. Out plays have always been amazing. Uh, but I thought lately, you know, it's like every play I'm agreeing with totally. I loved uh, the inbounds play alley-oop to Rob that ended. Uh, Pirtle made a great, great play on that ball. And it ended with the jump ball, which, I mean, it ended up working out for us kind of. Um, but like, I thought that was just a brilliant play to draw up in that spot. And it almost worked to perfection. Um, like I said, I love the set plays he's running for Neesmith. Um, one of the best moves. So, I mean, the Celtics with Brad, obviously we, sw- we want to switch everything. That's just the way he plays defense, which so part of that again is getting the right personnel and getting these guys up to speed so that they can play that defense, which has looked very shaky at times this year. Uh, but it's starting to look better and like a great move in that second half, he switched Jalen onto Pirtle. So you had Jalen Brown guarding their center. And the reason was because they were running pick and roll every play. So now you've got Jalen switching on to DeRozan or whoever's running the screens instead of Thompson or Rob. Um, and that, you know, was a little move, but it changed the game. So things like that, he's been great. Um, and then I also, that end of game play against the Spurs, I know Tatum missed the shot, but I love that play. Um, I think he was the third guy to touch it. We ran two actions and then got Tatum into kind of the post at almost the elbow, which is like his sweet spot. He made an awesome move on DeRozan got pretty much a wide open look and he it just hit the front rim. But like, that is what I want to see in the end of game situation, rather than just kind of giving it to Tatum at half court and waiting till five seconds left to make a move. That was like, we got him the ball in his spot and it resulted in a great look. So um, 
again, just again, it, we, he didn't make the shot. So no one's talking about it, but uh, kudos to Brad. I thought he was awesome. And I, I think his, uh, his rotations in general, he's, he's kind of crunched it up lately. That's resembled more of a playoff rotation. Um, and I think the, for the most part, I haven't had a lot of complaints with who's out there, which is good to see. I think again, you know, we kind of expected this would come and it has. So I think he deserves the credit for uh, making that work. And I also think he's done a really, really good job handling the, uh, the Rob Tristan split. I feel like it's been mostly like kind of back and forth with who has the hot hand, who should play, but I think he's done a good job of not really overplaying each guy and having the right guy in there when Tristan's been great for us, he's leaned on him and vice versa. So it sounds kind of obvious and basic, but it's really not. And I think uh, Brad's done a really good job managing both of those guys and kind of everything lately. Yeah. I mean, in general, coaches don't get a lot of praise. It's pretty much, you know, they yeah. pretty much just <laughs> the fall guy when the team's playing bad, um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brad's, you know, there's never been any question about if Brad's a good coach, you know, tactically, schematically, I mean, he's, he knows what he's doing. He knows basketball. Um, I think his biggest criticism has always been, you know, being able to manage talent, manage mm-hmm. egos and whatnot, which, you know, like it or not, is a big part of the NBA. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way he's been, the way the roster, the rotation has looked the last few weeks, um, I think it's all, I mean, also, I think, you know, the trade deadline helped as far as, you know, fitting out the bigs, um, you know, everyone kind of falling into place. I think it's kind of helped. Um, I mean, regardless, I think we probably would have gotten to this point anyways. I think it's just, you know, he was just trying out, you know, every possible, you know, scenario, yeah. every possible option. Rotation. Yeah. And Which I mean, in a season like this and what he had, yeah. like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> At least and we I found mean, out. I don't think either way, you know, I don't think if we got to this point you know, two months ago that we would have, you know, been in a much better position, you know, in the standings anyways, I think our, you know, our issues mm-hmm. have been much bigger than just our rotation. Right. Um, and a lot of it is just, he's playing who's available. It's not yeah. like he's had, we've just said, he hasn't had a full rotation to work with pretty much all year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. you know, no complaints with Brad for the last, you know, the recent you know, Definitely. few weeks or whatever month. All right. And then my last takeaway from these games, I, I hate to do this, but we, we have to talk about the officiating in that Portland game. What the hell was that? Um, so there were just awful calls all night, but the things that stick out, uh, Tristan had a putback dunk with a few minutes, maybe four or five minutes left at that point. I'm not exactly sure, but it would have given us the lead. It's a huge kind of turning point. The refs called it off for offensive goaltending. Now, a quick replay showed that the ball was almost a full foot off the rim. It was just a terrible call, not even close to offensive goaltending. Uh, so the Celtics tried to challenge. Obviously, they called timeout, this, that, and the other. The refs did not grant them the challenge. After the game, the refs said that Brad that it was a challengeable play, but Brad didn't challenge in time. After rewatching the game, watching the replays, different angles, that's just not the case. Uh, the play was stopped. We, we called timeout, like, just was not handled correctly. Um, so that was a disaster. And then even more disastrous was with a minute and a half left. <laughs> You're going to have to explain this one to me because Nurchich 
committed an illegal screen, um, basically flattened Marcus. Marcus, in being flattened, kind of, they said he, I guess, flailed, which if you get flattened by a guy who's over seven feet tall and close to 300 pounds, you're probably going to kind of flail your limbs. It makes sense. He inadvertently made contact, I guess, with Nurkic's groin. They reviewed the play for, I think that was the longest review I've ever seen. It, it took, I think they said seven minutes in real time. I thought they were just reviewing to see if it was a flagrant foul by Nurkic because it was such a hard screen and Marcus went down. So the refs determined that it was indeed an offensive foul on Nurkic, but that Smart for hitting him in the groin was a technical foul. Uh, he had no other technicals, so they gave him a technical and also ejected him, which is, again, something I've never seen before. I did not know you could even eject a player for one technical. I also don't understand how, if he's getting fouled, <laughs> he can be punished for kind of how his body reacts and inadvertently hitting Nurkic when, again, Nurkic had illegally hit him in the first place. The whole thing was a mess. Uh, I don't understand that ruling at all. Again, and then... <laughs> A few moments earlier, Norman Powell absolutely clobbered Smart in the face. They reviewed that and did not even call it a flagrant. They just kept it as a common foul, ruling that Powell had basically hit him inadvertently, which I was fine with. But then for Smart's inadvertently hitting Nurkic to rule that a technical somehow, like the whole thing was a mess. Um, if you watch the game, you already know this. My only thought was that it's kind of like a reputation move and that the refs just hate smart at this point and we're like fuck him he's out of here we're sending a message uh because otherwise like i don't get it i don't understand what happened it was clearly not intentional and again he was in the process of getting demolished by Nurkic. so that not only cost us a point when we would have had the ball again with momentum down three instead the blazers got a free throw and we lost one of our best players for the rest of the game um like i Again, I don't want to say we lost that game because of the refs, because it was a really good game, but it seemed like the refs at least completely ruined it. They completely took the air out of the game with those reviews. And then to review it for that long and come up with that outcome, am I just, do I have green goggles on here? Or was that just like one of the worst moments of NBA officiating you've ever seen? And that's, um, you know, saying a lot. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think anybody likes talking about officiating. I, I, right. I, so. And- you know, it has to be pretty egregious. Um, and like you just said, I don't think, I don't think it's because of the refs that we lost that game. I think no. probably Portland probably deserved to win that game regardless, mm-hmm. but that I think that missed call on the offensive goaltending probably at least locked in a loss for us. Mm-hmm. And the Blazers went on a 6-0 run right after that yeah. kind of argument yeah. and not granting us the review, which I yeah. still don't get been, why we didn't get the review. But We would have been up one. Uh, instead, we were down one, and then they immediately go down and hit a three. I don't mm-hmm. remember what happened on the next offensive possession for us, but then I know they went back and hit another three. So <laughs> we went. We were yeah. we were going to be up one, and instead, you know, 30 seconds later, we're down seven. Um, yeah. And that, that was pretty much game, so. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't think that's why we lost, but I think that's pretty much when the game ended. Uh, yeah. The, the refs, they ruined a good game. I mean, and for the record, they were bad both ways because right after that, they called Dame on a charge when Pritchard was in the circle and oh, yeah. moving. So right. for the record, they were bad on both ends. Uh, but just again, they basically ruined a good game. Yeah. It, it was, it was more as a, I mean, I know they obviously missed some calls, but I think it was more that they just, 
with no seem, no command over lost. the game. No yeah. command, no control. They let it get ugly. And again, it just broke down into what didn't even resemble basketball by the last right. few minutes. So yeah, and hate that, to see that game that, that uh, I mean that play with the Tristan play, I know it's like confusing. What from what I understand is that Brad and Tatum were both calling mm-hmm. timeout. Yes. The refs just didn't see it. And I think it was McCollum like sprinted to the sideline to get the ball from the from mm-hmm. the ref just so he could inbound it. And I think that's basically what happened. I think he, he you know, McCollum probably saw it. was like, I need to get this ball in ASAP. Sprinted <laughs> yeah. to, the, to the sideline, took the ball and inbounded it. All while Tatum was calling for a timeout and the refs just didn't catch it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they tried to call a timeout to challenge it. And, you know, the refs after the game said it was because they didn't challenge it in time, which is, yeah, which they just, they just missed the challenge. There's a photo and video evidence that that is not true. We right. did challenge it in time. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, the, the smart thing too is, you know, I don't doubt that he just wound up and punched him in the nuts. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's possible that he did that. I don't, I wouldn't put it past him, I guess, but I don't think there's anything in that replay where you can say, yeah, he, he intentionally punched Nurkic in the groin while getting, while getting right. (laughs) Like while getting blindsided to the floor. Like if he has the wherewithal mid fall to will to purposely punch the guy in the balls, like that's just an incredible display of athleticism on his part. But (laughs) that's like, that's just not what happened. But also he's like, is that assuming that he did intentionally punch him in the groin? Right. Is a technical even the right call? Right. I mean, and, and how is one two? technical an ejection? That I still haven't heard an explanation for why he yeah. was ejected and didn't just receive yeah a flagrant or a technical. Because again, he didn't yeah. have any other other technicals. So single technical. That seemed, again, that's where it's the refs look at this for seven minutes and then come up with that is like. Uh, so they, just, did they this give, is unacceptable. Did they give San Antonio. <laughs> One free throw after that, then? Well, uh, Portland, but yeah. I mean, Portland? Yeah. Um, they got a free throw, and then we got the ball. Because the was... offensive foul stood, which, again, is the weird part. It'd be one thing if they overturned the offensive foul and said that, like, Smart just flopped. Yeah. But they stood up that it was a very illegal screen. So, again, I don't know how how you can come up with yeah. what they did, but, again. I mean, I would, have, I would have felt better if they were like, yeah, he punched him in the groin. Right. Flagrant two. Flagrant two, yeah. you're out. Right, at least that would have made sense. I still would have thought it was a bad decision, but at least I would have right. understood it. Whereas this just seems yeah. like an awful decision and one that I'm not even sure is like the right move by the NBA rules. It makes no sense. So, so this game's a again, protest. Yeah, it should be. I'm counting it as a win. Fuck it. Cool. Um, all right. I think that about covers it. Real quick, as I said, we got seven games left starting tonight. Where are you feeling overall? Any optimism, all pessimism? done with predictions after how inconsistent we are where are you at um i'm not going to predict anything anymore because you can't that hasn't (laughs) gone well for us um no i mean the i like our remaining schedule as far as you know the opponents i know you know i know we haven't had a lot of success overall against anybody but you know orlando's Mm -hmm. not a good team i mean They've been beating bad teams recently, I guess, which does make me nervous. But a few. Um, we should go in and take a, take you know take advantage of that. Chicago yeah. just went through a miniature gauntlet the last four mm-hmm. games, um, so you know they're probably a little bit beat up. And 
And they'll be um, on a back-to-back because they play Thursday night and then have us Friday for right. what it's worth. So. And, you know, they we, we lost to them last, uh, last time we played, was it? Yeah. We did. And, and that was uh, when we were missing four of our top six rotation yeah. guys. And I think in, so. in general, you know, the second game after, you know, we lose to a bad slash average team, we usually mm-hmm. come out, you know, much better. So we got to take the, we got to take advantage of Orlando and Chicago. Um, got to split Miami at minimum. Um, Miami's got a kind of a tough schedule coming up or no, they do have a pretty tough schedule. Um, I mean, then we have, you know, Minnesota who's actually been playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they want where well, they won four straight after and then lost to the Pelicans in overtime mm-hmm. last game, I think. So they're, they're playing well. So, I mean, they're a lot better than their record and they're a team yeah. that's, that's trying. They're not yeah. tanking. They want to win. So yeah. that, well, so that's not a gimme. They're not an easy out. Um, so, I mean, if Miami just goes 500, goes three and three, if we win tonight, we'll be tied with them record wise. We'll have the, you know, the tiebreaker obviously. And then, you know, we can go, I don't know, four and two, the last six. I mean, sounds like a prediction. uh, (laughs) uh, I'm not predicting it. I'm saying what we need to do, but I mean, if we can beat Orlando tonight and then, we go 500 and Miami goes 500, then at least we have the tiebreaker still with them. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. We got to, we got to win four out of the next three. And one of which has to be against Miami. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Here's my real quick reason for optimism on the Celtics this season that I think everything, all the ups and downs, most of them, what we have done well and what we do do well is what translates to playoff basketball. So again, when we cut down the rotation to eight or nine guys, it, where it seems like everyone is at least close to healthy at this point, it's like, it's just Jalen who with his ankle, they say that's not bad. So we have our eight or nine guys healthy. Like that's a formidable playoff rotation. We've got the star and the shot maker in Tatum and, you know, Kemba and Jalen to a lesser extent. We play the kind of versatile defense that translates to the playoffs. We're one of the highest switching teams in the entire league. Um, and, you know, we've, we've, we know what it takes. We've been in the playoffs. We've been in these battles. We've got the guys. So it's like we get into there. I still feel like these teams don't want to see us. Like, even if we somehow fall into an eight seed and play like Philly in the first round, they might not say it, but I doubt they want to see the Celtics. So. Yeah. I still be... think there's a there's a world where things break right for us and we finally see the Celtics peak at the right time. Uh, I'm being very optimistic. Obviously, I acknowledge that, that there aren't a lot of reasons to assume that that'll happen. And I'm not assuming that it will. But again, this is just kind of my my reason for optimism that like on paper, it's the kind of stuff that should work in the playoffs where you see some of these teams like the Knicks who historically this doesn't work once the playoffs start. And it's like, they're winning so much off of like this effort where once the playoffs start and everyone else cranks that effort up and things slow down, they don't have maybe the star power to do it. Um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to produce the offense. Whereas the Celtics, I think should be able to adapt really well to playoff basketball. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what we've, that's why we've, gone deep in the playoffs and you know the last mm-hmm. however many years i mean we've we play good playoff basketball um, right I mean, and in a series good. with brad making adjustments and you know i i still like our chances maybe i'm an idiot but i i still like our chances against yeah. a lot of these teams if we can just get in there i just want i just want them to make it interesting um that, i know yeah. 
Philly will be crapping their pants if they see us in the playoffs. Definitely. No doubt. Even though they pretty much didn't have any trouble with us this year. We go into Philly and win game one. That's a 50-50 series. <laughs> like, <laughs> it sure. is. It yeah. just is. All right. Uh, oh, so we'll seeing, seeing some breaking news. Okay. Romeo is in the concussion protocol <sighs> and is ruled out for tonight. Oh, God. So All right. Just well, how do you until smokes too much and concussed himself? It yeah. happens. Yeah. Romeo, how, how when did he get a concussion? <laughs> I don't know. All right. Slipped well, in the shower, saw it potentially. <laughs> I guess this is seemingly the first time in a long time the Celtics have actually had two nights off in a row. So I'm hoping they got a little bit of rest, maybe even practiced. No. Um, <laughs> so maybe they'll look a little more cohesive as a unit. All right. Last question before we get out of here. Assuming, or not even assuming, but hoping we can climb up to the 4-5 matchup in the standings, rank these potential opponents in terms of who you would most like to play to who you would least like to play. And those are the teams that we could be, that could also be in that 4-5. So it's the Knicks, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Hornets. The Hornets are more of an outside shot, but I threw them in there. So out of those four teams, who would you most to least like to play? Um, most would probably still be the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I still, I know they're, you know, they have a lot of offensive weapons. Um, I just think they're still a little bit too young and a little soft perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I, mean, I know Trey Young puts up crazy numbers, but I've never really believed in him, um, as <laughs> you know, being that kind of guy. You know oh, that wow. guy. I mean, oh, wow. he's he's really good, but yeah. I don't think I don't think he's that guy yet. Anyways, no, that's fair. Most um, very few point guards ever are truly yeah, that guy. Right. Yeah. So but, I mean, you know, unless he turns into Steph, which mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to. I, 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 he's I, a long we'll way see. away. He could be. Really he's got good. a long way to go to be. You know, yeah. Dame. <laughs> right. And so, Dame, as good as he is, we've seen that he's not good enough to be that guy on a championship yeah. team, at least. Um. So the Hawks would probably be my number one. Um, Agree with you on that. Uh, honestly, I, I don't really – I still don't really fear the Knicks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you. The Knicks are my number two as well. It was would, Knicks or Hawks for number one. I'm just yeah. – as yeah. much as I, it's a great story for New York, like I said, the things – the things you want to see from a playoff team, I'm just not sure the Knicks have much of a higher ceiling to reach in a seven-game series than what they've shown, whereas the Celtics, we clearly do. And I think, you know, push comes to shove, we could dispose of them in five, six games if, if yeah. we're healthy and right. Yeah, Knicks, uh, like, like you said, that's you know good story, but I just don't mm-hmm. think they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, crazy as it sounds, even though, you know, they haven't played great this year, I'd be most afraid to play the Heat. So that would mean Hornets obviously be number three. Um, obviously with Lamelo back, they're they're scary again. But mm-hmm. um, just the Heat, still, you know that that team, um, Butler, you know yeah. Bam. I mean, just you know what Spall. they did to us last year. Spa, obviously, it's just uh, they still if yeah. they turn it on, everything clicks. They're still the a good wounds team. are too fresh. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I had the exact same ranking. Um, probably could have argued that I'd rather play the Hornets than some of those other teams, but at the same time, it's like 
Rosier, Wanamaker, Hayward. I don't want to see those guys getting, you know, an, an extra chip on their shoulder of, oh, we're playing against the guys that they wanted more than us. Uh, I don't, I don't want any part of that narrative. No, so I think we should beat them, but I, the ramifications of a loss, the ramifications of a loss would be too, too demoralizing. The fun team. I'm, I, I like oh, very. They're a fun team and a good team. Um, yeah. yeah. Without health, they'd be right up there for that four or five without those injuries. So yeah. needles pointing up for them. Definitely. All right. Well, that'll just about do it. Thanks for tuning in, Chuddy Heads. We will be back next week on Tuesday with another episode. Um, and hopefully we'll have a lot of wins to talk about. Hopefully we'll be up in that four or five spot. All will be well. Until next time, thanks for joining us. I'm Ben. This is Nick. Should have never sent him to pick up the work for. Go south. Spray the park and my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the jets. He was going to Sean John. They were sleeping on the guards and it dawned on.